excerpt from the 1966 movie, The Christmas That Almost Wasn't. It is December 15th. I must be seeing things. Excuse me, sir. I hope you're not going to laugh at me, but if I didn't know any better, I'd say you were Santa Claus. You certainly look like him. I am Santa Claus, and I'm not laughing. <laughs> That's what I thought. I'd have recognized you sooner if it hadn't been for that sad look on your face. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If you are Santa, what are you doing here? You're early. Aren't you supposed to be up at the North Pole getting the presents ready for the children? Christmas is not coming this year. What? Not coming? True crime. Sex. Political conspiracy. Celebrity gossip. Murder. UFOs. Crooked officials. The occult. Assassination. Courtroom drama. Rape. Corporate scams. Scandal sheets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scandal Sheet. Your source for exhaustive investigations into anything socially deviant, scientifically unexplainable, horrifically sinister, and, if we get lucky, criminal. Listeners, we are pleased to welcome back our founding co-host and president of the Federation of North Pole Workers, Local 706, Cassia. Hello, thank you for having me back. Well, thanks for joining us for this Victory Lap, Cassia. I know your fans, your minivans, will appreciate it. Yeah, it's been pretty busy with the unionization efforts that we've been doing up here. But I'm happy that I could uh, make some time in my busy labor schedule to uh, do this podcast. Awesome, awesome. And you have a relatively new podcast yourself. This would be a great opportunity to tell... The listeners of this podcast, who are also your fans, about the new one. Would you like to do that? Yes, it's called Have We Met Before, and it is a storytelling podcast, and it's just me talking into the mic, and I'm telling you stories of interesting strangers and people that I've met uh, from all around the world. And so I hope everyone will give it a shot. Okay, cool, cool. And, as always, we are joined by our brilliant AI engine, Bernice. I want to wish both of you the very happiest of holidays. Wow. Thanks, Bernice. I, I, if I may say, that's rather uncharacteristic of you. Well, you know it is the season of love, and all that. And I was also promised a few glasses of heavily spiked eggnog. Ah, well, <laughs> we'll make sure you get those, Bernice. So... Cassia and Bernice, today, in celebration of the holiday season, we're going to review the 1966 heartwarming, mega-budget holiday masterpiece, The Christmas That Almost Wasn't. Cassia, I believe we both watched this movie today. You, maybe for the first time, me, for the first time in... 40-some years, in order to prepare for this pod. But but perhaps the word watch is too mundane a word. Maybe experience a -a one-in-a-lifetime artistic uh, uh, revival flowing over you is a more accurate expression. You know, that's one way of putting it. (laughs) 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 Well, is, is it a lost masterpiece? I mean, let's just, let's just. Put our cards on the table. It's a lost something. 
<laughs> well, I looked it up. I couldn't find any Oscars. I couldn't any find any con Palm Doors or British Academy Film Awards. So it's, it's just baffling it's too to bad, me. bad, yeah. It's just baffling. I mean, if you were an well, executive t- at TBS, would you be doing a 24-hour marathon with this? I saw that it had played on TCM. Okay. Uh Sorry, my cat is here, so she's kind of walking around. I don't know if that's a problem. Can can she be? Can she comment? Can she weigh in? She is all white, so she does look very, you know, snowy. <laughs> but this is not a visual medium. No, it isn't. Um, no. So yeah, I watched this movie with my boyfriend, and ah. I think he might break up with me now. No way. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I I don't know. I was glad I didn't watch it alone. It it was hot. It was a painful watch for me, honestly. Like it was just, it felt like it moved slow, and there were really good things about. Like there were some really good details, and then there were some really like bizarrely bad storytelling machinations that mm. I didn't understand why they were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll get in more into it later. Right, right. I thought we could just sort of step through the chronology and then just discuss piece by piece, uh, you know, what what occurs. So, uh, you know, it, it was one thing that was uh, – you said it was a little bit painful. I thought the script was brilliant. I thought it was written by Aaron Sorkin. Wait, wait, hold on. I got to step in before you say this because okay. I can see in the rundown that you're about to put Aaron Sorkin and William Goldman on the same level. Ouch. And I just feel like I can't let that happen. <laughs> it was like it was a speak now or forever hold your peace situation. Uh, okay, I okay, <laughs> I will retreat. I will retreat. Retreat. Okay, cool. Okay, it, it's about it, you know. I thought it was written by Patty Chayevsky <laughs> or William Goldman. I'm just I'm just giving an alternative option. There you go. In the same s- sphere. But it was actually written by Paul Tripp who plays the attorney, Sam Whipple, and is also the only American actor in the whole film. Everybody else is Italian. The other thing about about Whipple that strikes me as as funny is he, you know, he's writing the script, right? Everybody, it refers to him as young man, Santa, Mr. Claus, the bad guy prune. Everybody refers to him as young man, the department store owner. And the guy is 50. I didn't notice that. Yeah. And, and at the time, Paul Tripp was 55 years old and at the time of filming. He actually seems older than that to me. But I mean, it's like, where do they come up? I guess if I was writing, you know, a film that I was going to be featured in, I guess I would also say, hey. I'd be like, hello, you <laughs> dashing handsome, Oh, my God. Sexy man. I'd be like the Beatles Ugh. in Hard Day's Night running down the street with like a thousand <laughs> girls after me. Oh, my God. Well, okay. I saw that the guy who plays Prune... Yeah, prune. the wonderful prune mm-hmm. is also credited as a writer, right? Uh, actually, he's he's the director. Oh shit! Really? Yeah, yeah. So Trip wrote it, and and what's his name? Rosano. I don't know Italian. Rosano Brazzi. Is that the way to pronounce his name? Sounds pretty Italian. To and me. he's and he's you know he's a pretty classic good bad guy. You know, with the black suit and the mustache. It's crazy. Okay, and then another thing that I did realize when I looked this up is the guy who did the the opening song. Oh, I yeah, I didn't even see that. Who did that? So there's an animated intro 
uh, with a pretty good song in it, which I think is of a higher quality than some of the other songs. There once was a Christmas that almost wasn't, almost wasn't, almost wasn't. There once was a Christmas that almost wasn't because of a man named Prune. No, absolutely. And I, I actually and even love the animation. It was just like really, really avant-garde. No, no, I loved the animation in the beginning, too. I thought the animation was really good. Uh, but the guy who did that song is the guy who did the theme song for the Hobbit movie, the animated Hobbit. No way. Yeah, and I and I went and listened to that song and you play them back to back, and you can tell that is the same voice. It's the same style. The greatest adventure is what lies ahead today and tomorrow are yet to be said. Yeah. Oh. Cool. Wow. This guy, Glenn Yarbrough. Wow. Well, you, that is a piece of uh, cinematic archaeology, so kudos to you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what's also wor- uh, kind of weird about that opening sequence is that's sort of like where you would put the credits, and there's no credits. You know, they just play, at least in the American version, you and I. Uh, obviously, the English version we inevitably watched. Well, that was kind of weird. Like, no, no directed by, written by, nothing. They occur later. At the maybe very they end. were just. Maybe they were really embarrassed of it, and so they just were like, <laughs> "Well, hopefully, will people will be needing to go to the bathroom, and they'll just miss that I was involved with this." So it's it's worth mentioning because it it. it one of the attributes of this film that make it so kind of unique and so archival is that it was a movie shot in Italy with all yes. Italian actors, except for that one guy, the writer, Paul Tripp. And it, it, it sort of looks and feels a lot like the spaghetti westerns of the 60s that director Sergio Leone did with Clint Eastwood. And I guess that was it like... It feels exactly like that. This movie about Santa, it... <laughs> Just like a Clint Eastwood. <laughs> well, and but but you know again also even just like Fellini, you know they didn't shoot with they didn't do sound on set. They didn't even try it. You know they had no clapboards or anything. They would just shoot it and then they would dub it later. You know everything, the footsteps, the whole bit. I mean that was just the way they did it in Italy at the time. Look, I kept expecting to see Clint Eastwood appear around like a Christmas tree. He throws back his famous, faded poncho, revealing his six-gun. Listen, stranger, didn't you get the idea we don't like bad boys like you in town? (laughs) He exhales his cigar. I don't think it's nice, you laughing. What do you mean? You see, my reindeer don't like people laughing. He gets the crazy idea you're laughing at him. Now if you all apologize, like I know you're going to, I might convince him that you really didn't mean it. What a thoughtful and touching scene to recreate for a Christmas program. So, Kasi, the other curious thing about this movie, before we sort of get into the actual movie itself, is that it is a musical, but none of the actors apparently can sing at all. <laughs> Did you and notice that? none of that? the songwriters can write songs <laughs> at all. Well, 
Well, I was going to say it's very Sondheim-esque. I was, it's like, oh, my God. It's like West Side Story just came to the North Pole. So, <laughs> Yeah, I did actually. That did cross my mind because Sondheim has recently died. I was like, God, yeah. he would just, like, kill himself <laughs> watching this. Like, they were probably it, calling him. It's like, will you work for five this, bucks an hour? This is probably what killed him. <laughs> Well, another thing about it is that this guy, Paul Tripp, was like a children's specialty actor, musician dude. Right. He wrote the book that it's based on. Ah. Right. So that that kind of explains why he's so central to it, even though, like, he didn't seem super necessary or charismatic or something. I don't know. Once I found out that he's like a... He's a kid's guy, you know? He's like a Mr. Rogers guy. It made more sense. Well, he's certainly in a lot of stuff. I mean, when you look at his career, it's 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 not uh, inconsequential, but you're right. He is in a lot of kid's stuff. So you're saying, like, he is a Mr. Rogers or Dr. Seuss or something like that? Like, people would recognize well, his, him? Well, his Wiki, Wikipedia page is like, he's a chi- an American's children's musician. Ah, Okay. He was the host of a show on CBS, a kid's show called Mr. I Imagination. Mm. Okay. So that does sound uh, Mr. Rogers-esque or Pee Wee Herman-esque. Honestly, this show sounds kind of cool. He It was broadcast live from Grand Central in Manhattan, and he was dressed as a train engineer. Oh, wow. Sounds like kind of a cool show. That's like that PBS show with... Yule um, Brenner. No way. Yule Brenner served as the director of the show. Holy moly. At times, yeah. That is a weird piece. There you go. Now you get another archaeological I'd like to watch that. Now you're going to find the missing link in cinema somehow. Seriously. (laughs) Why don't we dig into the movie? I didn't know if you wanted to do the open... Oh, I literally, okay, I literally wrote, one of my notes says QAnon bait. (laughs) Because (laughs) there is some song, there's some questionable songs about I have a date with Santa, Santa has a date with me. And then they go, then later Santa and Sam go riding in the sleigh singing, we've got a date with children. We'll have a lovely time. Well, there's a, there's a bunch. Children. There's at least three or four different things that are kind of creepy. But it's just. That, there's a lot of. Yes. And it's just funny. It opens. Okay. So you've got this. this we, we learn only minutes later. He's supposed to be a very successful attorney. And yet all he does all day is hang out with little kids. With and no other up, adults. And blow up balloons. <laughs> At the department store. And decorate trees, right. So Yeah, it's super weird. It is. Um, Well, I was just like, why is this man... Like, when you're just watching a normal movie, it's not common for there to be a much older man surrounded by a swarm of children. Only in the world of a children's show would that occur. Well, or even yeah, then, like the I mean, if I Michael was do- Jackson house. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> exactly. I mean, but this is I mean, as we know, he's a 55 year old man. This isn't Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music, right? Where she's the nanny. This is supposed to be an excess, right. a successful counselor. And then he's got like this Pied Piper group of 
a mob of children running after him in the town square. It just yeah, I was I was super confused by it. It's like He's... I have to rethink my sexuality. I have to call my fucking therapist now. So, but interesting it, what that brought up for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But later that evening, and we're going to have a clip here. You know, this is in the trailer. Whipple is like still, the kids are gone, but he's still decorating around the clock, the town, uh, for whatever reason. And then Yes, he's still decorating hours later. Right. And he's still hanging garland on the lampposts. Right, right. And then this guy approaches him. We learn in Santa Claus in a very unconvincing disguise. And so here's the clip. Excuse me, sir. I hope you're not going to laugh at me, but if I didn't know any better, I'd say you were Santa Claus. You certainly look like him. I am Santa Claus, and I'm not laughing. (laughs) That's what I thought. I'd have recognized you sooner if it hadn't been for that sad look on your face. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If you are Santa, what are you doing here? You're early. Aren't you supposed to be up at the North Pole getting the presents ready for the children? Christmas is not coming this year. What? Not coming? Who's going to stop it from coming? Mr. Phineas T. Prune. And he's just the fellow who can do it, too. Did you say Prune? Phineas T. Prune, the multi-zillionaire with a pickle face who lives in that big grouchy house over there? But why? What's got into him so suddenly? It isn't sudden at all. He's been out to ruin me and stop Christmas for many a long year now. Why should he do a thing like that? There's got to be a reason. Children. He doesn't like children. He wants me to stop giving presents to children. So Santa comes to Sam and tells him that there will not be Christmas this year. And as it's been established, Sam loves Christmas and he loves children. And he loves singing about Christmas with children. (laughs) So Sam is really the perfect guy to go to with this because he's going to be really hurt. Um, (laughs) And the the reason that, that Christmas is threatened is because Santa's landlord, the guy who bought up the whole North Pole after, this was a weird detail, Eskimos gave it to Santa. Mm hmm. Do you remember that? Eskimos gave him some land. <laughs> yeah, generously gave it to him. Right, yes. Right, but then this asshole named Phineas T. Prune, as someone says later, does the T stand for tightwad? Right. The uh, landlord is demanding rent and Santa cannot pay his rent. They don't get into why or how Santa has made income in the past. Well, or how he manufactures toys for people, for children around the world with no funds. With no backing. Yeah, right, there's right. a lot of economic questions hanging <laughs> over this movie. There isn't. There's like, does he have a Kickstarter? I mean, what's going on? I just, uh, that's what I said later. I was like, this is the, this is the Kickstarter ending. Yeah. Well, um, I, maybe we should put this, maybe this should be yeah, an if, ad for Kickstarter. If you, look, if you're an accountant... If you are employed by an H&R Block, you should not watch this movie because it would really upset you. It would really bother you because the questions you will have will not be answered. Then Mr. Whipple, Sam, I don't know if we should call him Sam or Whipple, whatever, takes him to his palatious one-room law office and 
we learn that as a child, he sent Santa the only letter he ever received from a child after Christmas. And Santa kept the letter and he has it right in his pocket and he takes it out and says, read the P.S. out loud. And the P.S. is, dear Santa, if you ever need anything, please call on yours truly. And Sam laughs and says, Sam, I really need you now. And I, says, I actually, I really liked this part. Okay. I really liked that he had written him a letter after Christmas and he's like offering to help Santa. I thought that was a sweet detail. Like there's a lot of crazy shit in this movie that left me <laughs> scratching my head. But there's yeah. a couple moments that I thought were really sweet. And that's one of them. Well, and then right after this, I mean, tell me what you think of this. His first reaction is like, hey, Santa, no problem. You know, I'm just going to cover it. Uh, how much is the rent? And and Santa doesn't say the rent out loud. He just hands him the invoice. And right. then, and Whipple is like, wow, that's kind of a lot. But hey, no problem. He pulls out his wallet, pulls out $2. You know, they both have ones on them. I don't know if they're Italian lira or actual dollars or whatever. And he's, and then he's like, okay, hmm. And then he digs in his pocket. As if the change, you know, he pulls out some change and he starts counting the change as if like those quarters and nickels will just about cover it. (laughs) Right. And it's a year's rent. And he's like, oh, no, I guess there's not enough here to cover it. Well, yeah, yeah. And then he looks in his little wall safe. Right. And there's there's like nothing in it. And he's like, well, I guess you're wondering how I'm a successful lawyer and I don't have any money. Well, I guess I'm pretty bad at sending out the bills. Exactly. Exactly. So Uh, I guess the reason that they do that is because we need a story to go forward. Well... I guess there's no movie. If he just he was like, "Hey, dude, of course," and he just gives him all the money, then right. there's no movie. Right, right. I mean, this is this is the official climax of of Act One, right? Because he's saying, "Hey, Santa, I'm going to help you. I'm going to be your attorney. I'm going to figure this out." Oh, thanks, Mr. Whipple. Thanks, Sam. And then they, you know, he said, "Let's go and talk to Prune." Let's, you know, we're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm a successful attorney. I'm gonna straighten this thing out. And turns out he's got this like one room little office, <laughs> which happens to be like 20 feet across the street <laughs> from Phil, the, the big, the big Prunes Mansion, the biggest zillionaire in the world. So I don't know. That was sort of weird. Well, uh, I was just like, <laughs> where, where is this taking place? Are we in Italy? Are we right. in America? It's some weird sort of village. Well, Christmassy and, village. Yes. You know, and I was going to, you know, and it's sort of, I guess, you know, we should probably talk about this. What is the universe in this magical world? It does seem like, because, you know, when they do the presents and everything, it, it really seems like this, it's just this one village. I mean, there's no, and, and like you say, that village almost looks German to me. Even though I know it was shot in Rome, it almost looks like some sort of... Oh, it was shot in Rome. It was shot in Rome. That, or at least the sets were. It didn't really look like anything to me. It just looked like a Christmas village from okay. the back of a studio. All right. Well, and that's obviously what it was. But, I mean, there is no aspiration that they ever go to uh, the United States or China or any or Africa or anywhere. They really just... It's, uh, it's only these little kids in this town... 
They're the only ones to get sure, presents. Sure, I mean, it's sure, really, sure. really limited. So, but it's so small that, like you say, I can have my little tiny law office as big as a shoebox right across from the, the richest guy, you know, right across the street from the richest guy in the world. Right. And the guy who loves Christmas the most in the world and the guy who hates Christmas the most in the world live directly across the street. From <laughs> That's a good point. Naturally. That's a good point. And then when they knock on the door, this other guy is really weird. The seven foot butler. Yes. Who's like creepy and has the skeletal thing. He looks thing. Adam's family-ish. Exactly. He's got, the, he's got like black makeup around his eyes. This very like hollow, sad looking, haunted looking butler. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Like Lurch. Like Lurch yes. in the Adam's family. Yeah. I immediately thought Adam's family. Because he's so tall and he's like such a, a dick. And, and his name is Bloom. Bloom. Is there significance to that? I mean, it's suggesting spring. And this guy is like anything but spring. I think because he looks, yeah, it's like a joke. Okay. All right. And then they have the biggest dog in the world. It's a big, scary dog. Big, scary dog, like as big as a horse. Scary dog for a scary man. (laughs) Okay. I guess that makes sense. And then Prune is not there. And then Santa goes, hey, you know what? Let's just go up to the North Pole because he always comes up. He always knocks on my door at dinner time because he wants to ruin my supper. Yeah, this is the thing. He's like, he, my landlord comes to my house every single day <laughs> right before I eat dinner. Even though, again, the North Pole is pretty far from Rome. This guy's making the trip up there every single night so he can nag Santa about paying his rent. Right, right. And we can talk about the transportation issues now. I mean, Santa has got a sleigh, although, you know. What does Prune have? Well, exactly, exactly. But Santa gets, you know, they get to the North Pole in, in, they make great time. They get there before supper, but there are no deer, reindeer. It's just a sleigh. There are reindeer later. There are in the end. But when yes. when he first takes Sam up to visit his house, they get off that sleigh and there ain't a goddamn piece of livestock within 100 miles. <laughs> I didn't I didn't notice that. Uh, yeah. Maybe they're just trying to save money because it's animated later. The reindeer. Right. Well, I'm not even sure you can call it animated. I think they just had like a light, some little mechanical toy because the little Santa keeps bobbing up and down automatically. It's pretty crazy. But just before they get there, we we see the inside of this little house. Again, it's actually it's a two room house. This is like the biggest set they've got. They have a cute little cottage. Cute little cottage. And they have. And we see Mrs. Claus. Who is adorably, she's outside collecting snow and then into a cauldron and then comes inside and puts it over the fire to make tea. Yes. Tea is a big deal in this movie. I, I think they, tea is were, huge. they were selling tea. But their, their army, their workforce army consists exactly of six elves, a.k.a. dwarves. Six. <laughs> Who? So I I didn't <laughs> I didn't love the elves. I didn't totally get the choice to make them little people. And then and we'll get into it later, but then to like banish them from the room where they eat mm. seemed a little creepy. It seemed like an abuse situation. Well, 
I mean, even in modern films like Elf with that guy from Saturday Night Live, don't they uh, use actual dwarves? I'm not sure that's the proper expression. Maybe it's little people or something like that. I think it's little people. I No, I didn't have a problem necessarily with them hiring those people. I had a problem with the way they used them. Okay. Because they just basically went, yay, or boo, we're not having Christmas, and... There's a part where when they leave the room, they have to crawl through a very tall man's legs. Oh, the 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 foreman, Jonathan. Yeah, seemed demeaning. Huh. Good. I point. didn't like that. Good point. They do. They do. They do get the short shrift. Although they are a forced labor. This is sort of a Chinese forced labor workforce, right? Look, I'm just speaking from my experience as the president of the Federation of North Pole, <laughs> Local 706. There you go. I just want these people to get into contact with me, and we'll see what we can do. Okay, this is going to be like the Amazon thing. So, come on, we got to vote, guys. There's only six of you, so I just need four. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But anyway, so Santa and Sam show up, and of course, everybody gets tea. Uh, Mrs. Claus is really not big. the elves. Not the elves. The elves do not just. But then they get pr- kicked out of the room. Prune arrives. Phineas T. Prune, and he's offered tea. And 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 she, you know, and and it's funny because I mean, for someone who's like the the most evil villainous guy, she treats him like oh. Uh, you, yes, you're not Mrs. wearing Claus, the right coat. It's the North Pole. You're- you aren't wearing your galoshes again, Mr. Prune. Yeah, right. she's she's very uh, she's doting on him. She's mothering him. She's taking care of him. And the other thing, because I she's mean, Mrs. Claus. Well, okay, she's, she's Mrs. Claus, sweet and loving to everyone. Okay, okay. The other thing is her wardrobe stuff is fairly limited. She's pretty much in a nightgown and a housecoat and one of those. 18th century hats the entire okay, time they they can't pay their rent what do you expect <laughs> they've only got one suit of clothes okay okay although she is constantly knitting so i wonder ah. maybe it's for children or something she could wear some of that well that's point. funny because you know he calls her santa calls her mother and they don't have yes. any children that was odd yeah i i just thought that's an old movie thing like Guys say mother about their their spouse. Like okay, old people well, my in old movies. my dad, your grandfather, said that to you know my mother, but she was a mother. <laughs> sure, but they're the they're like everyone's mother and father. They're okay, s- they're Mister and Missus uh, Claus. Okay, I buy that. I buy that. So Prune gets in there, and, and as an evil guy, he's actually you know engages in some degree of civil debate with the lawyer. <laughs> Doesn't he? He's not actually a hundred percent evil like he is in the trailer. They only show the points of him screaming at the world. But well, I feel like a lot of evil people really like debating. It's one of their favorite things to do. I, well, I think you're right. And then we learn we learn that like sort of the in his character arc is the reason he's like so fixated on this is because he really really hates children. And then he even sings a song about it. Right. Yeah. And I actually, so I really like the idea of a villain in a movie like this singing a song about how much they hate children. Uh, I felt like it could be really cool and funny. Kind of like the song in that 
that uh, I'm Mr. Heat Miser, you know, I'm Mr. 101 kind of deal from the year without a Santa Claus. And there's a guy who really likes it. Cult. There's remember Snow Miser and Heat Miser. Oh, okay. And it's the two brothers. The animated version from the guys who made yeah, the Rudolph. Yes. So thing. okay. That's like one of the best. That's like one of the best songs ever written. Okay, the Heat Miser song. Ah. Because he he loves heat, and so he does not want there to be a white Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it's a good villain Christmas song. And I feel like there was a great opportunity here to have a song about how much children suck, you know? And the lyrics were there. It's just they were not, uh, they weren't sufficiently. Were Sondheim- the lyrics there? Okay, I have the lyrics here. Yeah. Hold on. Let me just read some of <laughs> these lyrics because I do have that one. Life is just one great frustration when I see all through the nation children spoiled by adulation why won't someone spoil me too how i view with indignation doting parents adoration of their children's conversation no one says i'm clever too (laughs) okay so that is the clue to the ending of the movie right is that he has been dissed you know in some distant part of his past right why don't they we don't learn till the end of the movie the whole story, but that is the clue, right? That's the foreshadowing. Yes, exactly. We to the all prune know character. The very basic movie psychology, which is if that if you hate something, it's because you had a traumatic childhood experience, right? And you were denied, just like the Grinch, right? It's the same thing. Well, in the Grinch modern movie they didn't really get into his backstory in the original uh, book or the original cartoon yeah yeah yeah. i know the the live action movie yeah um so another thing i want to mention yeah there are some like christmas carol threads to this movie there they're are. trying he's somewhat scroogey yep however they they directly say like is it just about money or something and he's like no i don't care about money i just fucking hate children right right i don't even care about the rent Mm -hmm. and then in this scene he says in fact you don't have to pay me the rent you just have to promise you won't give children toys right and so that's the new deal but of course santa won't take it and then santa won't take it right right and now i think i wasted enough valuable time Either you have the money by midnight, December 24th, or no Christmas. And then he walks outside, breaks his cane on Santa's sled without reindeer, and then just starts walking away like he walked there in the first place to the North Pole from Rome. So... The man loves to walk. I he's guess, got really strong legs. He's, you know, he should have been an ultra marathoner, I guess. He's getting his steps in. But then they get into this whole fight. Now, this is where I get, I'm a little confused on the plot because they are like, they, they get into this <laughs> argument with, you know, it's like, let's dissect this. This is, you know, this is like Citizen Kane. He gets into an argument with the lawyer about whether or not he was ever a child. Were you ever yes, a child, this Mr. Prune? was very weird. This was really, really weird. Okay, tell me. So, yes, they, they try to put pressure him. They're like, weren't you once a kid? I mean, don't you just, like, love Christmas? And 
He says, no, he was not. Right. Yes? Right. He insists like, that he I was wasn't. never a child. He says, you're insulting me. I'm born leaving. an adult. Right. Exactly. And then Santa, because of course Santa is the king of children, and he knows all the children that, that there ever were. He asks the elf foreman, the very tall, skinny elf foreman. Jonathan. To search through their records to find the name of Phineas T. Prune, therefore proving that he was once a child. But here's the thing. If they do prove it, what would that mean? What would that change? I don't know. It seems like they had a couple options for what the plot of this movie might be. And instead of picking one, they were just like, well, we'll just kind of throw a bit of all of it in there. Because when they finally do get to Act 3, it you know, whether or not, you know, I He's mean. He's a child. has nothing to do with no, it. No, no. It just it, they lost his letter or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So that was a little bit weird. And then the elves spend the rest of the movie <laughs> looking for his name in a book in this library yes. of books they have, not making any toys. I'm like, where are the toys coming from? These guys don't even work. They're just sitting around. They're like sleeping. Uh, you know, Mrs. Claus brings some tea. She brings everybody tea, tea and biscuits, man. Wow. And and it's not like Mrs. Claus is Halle Berry Well, that's there. another thing. You know, she's not doing so, a workout video, right? So For, for, the, uh, for dinner... That night, they just had what looked like pound cake with the jam spread on it. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, that's a great dinner. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to try that. Yeah. How, do, how does Mr. Claus and Mrs. Claus get their girth with, uh, you know, crumpets and... and- well, Santa, Santa was pretty slim for a Santa. He wasn't... No, he wasn't that big. Mrs. Claus was, was, was not uh, svelte, though. She wasn't. She no, wasn't. No. But Santa didn't. Wasn't the most. He had a Santa beard, but he he wasn't the most Santa figure. As Santas go, I would say you're right. He maybe spent too much time on the treadmill. Right. He was a diet Santa. Diet Santa. Right. So, like moving on, then the next plot point is like, okay, well, what are we going to do? And Sam, the lawyer, says, "Hey." I'm not going to go and bill my clients that owe me money. Instead, you and I are going to go back to the village and get jobs. That's the plan. Right? So that's like plot point two. We're going to get jobs. Yeah. But I was like, okay, it's already like December. They're already decorating for Christmas. Right. How is Santa going to work a Frickin' minimum wage job for two weeks and pay his rent for a year. Right. So when they get to the department store where they finally do get jobs and then say, you know, I don't know if is it an homage to Miracle on 34th Street that that the actual yes, Santa that, is playing a department store Santa. I mean, it's homage. It seems like a or rip a off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this yeah, is yeah. 1966. This is 20 years later. They they nicked it, no pun intended, from <laughs> Miracle on 34th Street. But they treat uh, it like the idea of having a department store Santa is like a brilliant idea that has never been thought of before. Exactly. Yeah, they totally did. And then they put like a huge sign over it. They're like, come pay a visit to Santa. Right, right. 
Like it's yeah, it is totally revolutionary. But it's but, the Thomas Edison of department stores. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, this is the town where people love Christmas the most and they've never seen a mall Santa. <laughs> no, exactly. And like you said, like the only time we see a calendar, it says December sixteenth. So we're talking what, nine days until Christmas. So and and yes. Santa is you know he reluctant first he's really reluctant to hire him and then he he you know the guy that runs the store hires him and then he makes Sam the 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 quote unquote successful lawyer a janitor. Yeah, I do, exactly. So- like, he's like, why why is this guy hanging around? It's like, okay, cool, I got you a job, Santa. I'll like I'll go uh, do this trial lawyer shit and then I'll come back and like pick you up. Or why not but just no, go and bill his clients? Gotta- Right, he's always just like hanging out. He's always just around. He's blowing up a balloon. He's like <laughs> hanging out with children. It's just like what? What is Whipple doing? Playing with toys. Oh my god. Okay. And, and you know, again, this department store is like every other set in this movie. It's a one-room department store. Have you ever seen a one-room? Look, department they have store? a. They had a limited budget. All right. Uh, clearly. Clearly, they have stairs okay, in the I, balcony. I really, really liked the next part that comes up. Like I said, okay. I liked the the letter to Santa right. that they found from Sam. Yeah. I really like this. This is a, an innovation, actually, okay. in the Santa movie genre, okay. which is that Santa's really nervous to be the mall Santa because he's never seen a child awake. He's right. only ever seen a sleeping child. That is an innovation. We've never heard that before. I kind of liked that. But the first thing, and then he starts describing like a sleeping child in bed wrapped around her pillow. And, I, <laughs> and, and now I'm starting to think Epstein again. I'm like, okay, now I'm getting a little creeped out about this. Um, <laughs> it's fun. I had, I, had, I had creepy vibes in other places. I didn't have it there, but okay. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That was just. It, it is was, a little weird. It is a little weird. He's like, I love a sleeping child. Oh yes, their little cheeks. I know little exactly. Pillowcase. It was like, oh my oh, god, this is like their uh, fuzzy little blanket that I pull back and finger their. <laughs> it's like, oh no! It was, like, <laughs> it was like, okay, what are you like, Bill Cosby, like drugging these kids? So. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so it, there are some weird, there are weird things that, that yes. only in our prism of <laughs> mommy. 20... I don't feel too well. <laughs> I can't walk so good. Uh... It's rough. It's yeah. rough. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Sa- well, look, Santa's always has a little bit of a a creepy vibe. Well, if you want to look at it that way, it's always a little creepy. You mean a middle-aged fat guy who has a thing for little kids? And they come and sit on his lap. Okay, right. And they ask him what they want. (laughs) That's like every – that's like the – like in the FBI crypto or whatever, the pedophilia, uh, you know, SWAT team. That's like the profile of every single pedophile, right, is fat middle-aged I don't know. I feel like – Pedophiles are usually kids, really right? emaciated. Oh, really? They're all heroin addicts or something? Yeah, that's my vibe more. I'm sure pedophiles come in all shapes and sizes. Okay. 
equal opportunity pedophiles. Let's <laughs> equal, equal, equal opportunity pedophiles. Let's agree to that. And then, and then, of course, you know, Sam is the guy that has to teach him how to be Santa, like the how to do ho ho ho, and like what to do, and all that other stuff. So that's, I don't know, that's kind of a throwaway scene, unless you think otherwise. That one was a little weird because I thought that he was going to act like a child. I thought that would have been funnier if he had been like, "All right, we're going to role play. I'm a child. Talk to me like Santa." That would but have in- been funnier. That would Yeah, have been but instead he's like tells him how to talk like Santa. Right, right. How to and do And then ho-ho. tells him he's saying it wrong and then I feel like what Sam tells him how to do is is worse than what he did originally. I wish we could put you in a time machine and send you back to 1966 and you could help Paul. Look, there's a lot the of script. There's a lot of cool elements in this movie that I feel like could have done be- been done better. I really like the idea of a Santa owes money to his landlord and so he's trapped on Christmas. Mhm. That's a cool idea. I just don't really think they did it amazingly. Mhm. But there are some good there's some good bits. There are, there are. And then what did you think? So we have this, like, then we have this midpoint montage reminiscent of, like, the Rocky franchise, you know, where, you know, always Rocky's like, okay, now I'm training. Now I'm finally training. And in this case, it's it's uh, Prune, Phileas T. Prune and his henchman, the seven-foot bloom, trying to – I'm not sure what they're trying to do. Are they trying to kill Santa? Are they trying to – like they try like itching powder on the kids? They well, try to- yeah, they do some weird things. They blow a spitball at a mother's neck. Yeah! I mean, that was weird, wasn't it? It was like – That was ah, weird. I thought she was going to like drop and dead. why are they attacking – well, then I think – so then they blow a spitball at one of Sam's balloons and it pops. And I think that that's what they were going for and they just missed the first time. Okay. But then in, – in, in, But in, that seems like kind of if – you're, if you're there on an assassination mission to kill Santa, like wouldn't you just go straight for the target? You don't need to like pop the balloon of his associate. Exactly. And then – but then the most overtly violent – uh, at least implied violence is he crawls under the chair of Santa prune does with this giant oversized stick of dynamite. And then he's like yes. trying to light it with a lighter. And then a little kid who's like four years old s- notices him, gives him the evil eye and points at him as if like, Hey, I'm coming in there or whatever. And then yeah, exactly. prune runs away. <laughs> it's like, oh, that four-year-old may be coming in here. Why not just light it and just throw it in there and just kill everybody? I don't know. But even why would you even do that in a kid's film? I don't know. It just seems a yeah, little I, bit I, over. I wrote, it seems very bizarre. It's, but yeah, if you're determined to light someone up with dynamite, would you be deterred by one child in a golf cap? <laughs> and all I can think is that when you think of like the Roadrunner cartoons that have tons of cartoon violence with lots of explosions and guns and sure. people being run over by train, and then nobody ever gets hurt, right? They they just appear yeah. blackened, yeah, yeah. And then the well, next scene, they're back to normal. So I guess there's I'm, a couple things here. First of all, the dynamite. Was so cheap looking. It was, it was huge. Looked like it was made out of paper. It, right. it was like I was like, okay, prop department. We could have done better on that <laughs> one. 
And and another thing is like the only toys that exist in this world, like there's always toys all around Santa's house and in this department store, but it's only stuffed animals. That's the only like there's not like a basketball no, or like no. a baseball bat. Well, there is a or- little car. That they have to fix. There's one or two. Yeah, there's one or two other things when the actors are specifically using it. But just in terms of the set dressing, they clearly right. were just like, we don't need to worry about toys. Just go out and buy a shit ton of stuffed animals. <laughs> and that's what we're doing. Stuffed animals. That's what we're doing for dolls. toys. Yeah, that's that's a toy, man. Um, and then the thing about like that dynamite is so cheapy. But... Every person in this scene, all of the parents and all of the children, are all extremely well-dressed. I don't know if you noticed that. I actually... Every, no. every child is wearing, like, a three-piece houndstooth suit. Wow. And, like, a okay. wool hat. I was like, holy shit. This is, like... They all look like they're in an ad for some Italian fashion designer. Okay. And then there's, like, this huh. crappy set design. I was so confused. <laughs> Well, I guess that just shows you the relative uh, values of uh, Italian artists. Yeah, ex- that that's true. This is insightful. I mean, this is, one one yeah. thing that my boyfriend said when he watched the scene mm-hmm. to try to explain Prune's behavior is maybe uh, he's acting like a child, and that's why he's reverting in this way because he's supposed to not have ever been a child. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing him act out like one. But a all the other would... little kids like hate him. Like when they see him, like in yes, that montage, the kids, they hate him. Everyone just... in this whole village hates this guy right, right. on sight. Right, They're right. like, no, get away from me. You know, and then they do like like in old movies, like the, my favorite version of The Christmas Carol, they do the passage of time with like an hourglass spinning down a tunnel and you hear yeah yeah i like this well they they throw back to the north pole real quick and we find out that uh they have not been able to locate prune's name in any of the books even though they've looked through all of them right right but then they have that thing so the passage of time thing is where whipple goes to the calendar and he just tears off every page between right. December 16th and Dece- and then boom, it's Christmas Eve. <laughs> it's December of 24th. And then the shop closes. They close it up. It's, it's 5 o'clock. And then Prune shows up and says, hey, guys, I just bought the department store as of tonight. And you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why did you wait? that long exactly why did you we go through and that also, whole mindset if you fire someone like you still owe them the money for what they worked well right right and that was the other part of the scene because like they we it, it's a little sketchy but for some reason like all the toys start falling off the shelves and they all break and then he says okay here's the money that i owe because you guys stuffed animals are super breakable <laughs> Well, the stuff in boxes, yeah, yeah, exactly, and it's like, and takes all the money back that you know because for to pay for the damages of all the stuff they quote unquote broke. Gentlemen, this way out. All right, Mister Phineas T. Prune, but we're not licked yet. There's still some time before midnight. Come on, Santa, come on. 
At last. At last. At last. All these years I waited. And now victory is mine. Do you hear that? Victory is mine. 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 And Merry Christmas, I don't think. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I like that. I wish he was more deliciously evil than he right. was. He was he was usually reasonable even in that scene. I mean, like Santa accidentally sits on his hat and he says, "Oh, so, you know, even when they're firing him, he accidentally sits on on uh, Prune's hat, you know, big black top hat, and he goes, "Oh, I'm sorry about that." Uh and he's only got $1 left from his paycheck and he goes, uh, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, okay. This will cover it." <laughs> so this was his last dollar. <laughs> uh, good lord yeah no you're right i wish she was a little more evil i wish she did come in and just start you know shooting people or something <laughs> that would have been a different movie that would have sure. i know i i did want to mention the big budget extravaganza of the town itself remember when like we had this ho train set you know remember the ho little ho trains and there was like little towns. I don't and know stuff. what HO, but yeah, the little towns that you can get around a train. Right. I've seen that. Didn't didn't those shots yes. sort of look like that? They would like slowly. Yes, pan. there was an amazing, there was an amazing little scene that kind of there was a cute little double exposure thing of kids getting into bed, being tucked in right. on Christmas, right? And you know, a kid like stealing a little icing from a cake and and eating it in like cute little scenes and also snow falling on the roofs of all the little village homes. And that was an awesome scene. That looked amazing. There were certain parts that like, there were also some great shots in this movie. Some great like panning shots of the whole department store. Then zooming into like a little kid's face pressed up against a window some good transitions and then that great animation stuff. And then other parts looked like shit and it was just really piecemeal. Well, I don't know. And I don't know how many other movies Rosanna Brazi directed, you know, because he was both the villain and the director. But I think because like everybody was saying like, we're from the beginning of him. When's it going to snow? When's it going to snow? And then it finally starts snowing at 10 o'clock on Christmas Eve and Sam and Santa are just kind of sitting around like, okay, you got any ideas? Well, no, I don't got any ideas. What are we going to do? And then there's the, there is, and then it starts snowing. It starts snowing for the first time. And then like wow. this little kid comes through this Palladian archway and the light slowly comes up, you know, angelic. Oh my God. And he's got a Christmas tree on his shoulder and he just walks in. This, yeah, I love this, this scene. The, I love this scene too. I love this kid. For the whole time, I thought my favorite character was Mrs. Claus because she's just like always going around and like feeding people and, <laughs> and like telling them to put on a scarf and stuff. But this kid is so great. And so they also, another great thing about that little montage scene yeah. is that there's suddenly a great song again. It's the I've Got a Date with Santa. It's a little creepy, but it's like I've Got a Date with Santa. Santa's Got a Date with Me.
Um, it's like one of the better songs in the movie, but barring a, the theme so song. It, 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 but it's an off-camera song. It's not sung by somebody no, who's no. diegetically in the movie. No, it's but it's, it's someone not Someone who can exactly. actually sing, right? Well, no, it's a bunch of kids. Oh, it's kids. Okay. So it's just like we'll, we'll cute, play. We'll play. cute kid song. Okay. Yes, and then that kid who walks in with the Christmas tree on his back, which right. is, again... Very Christian kind of cross imagery. Ah. Um, he come. He's whistling the song that we've just heard. Ah. Wow. You are just so good, man. And then he says to Santa, they're like, hey, kid, like, isn't it a little late to be buying a Christmas tree? And he's like, hey, you know, times are hard and they're cheaper if you buy them last minute. <laughs> Which is and true. I love it's so cute that this little kid who, by the way, this kid is like eight. He's got a mustache. Ah. Like this is the most like teed up kid huh. in all of Italy. I don't know if that's an Italian thing, <laughs> but he looked he looked very old for his age. OK, <laughs> but his name was Charlie. A, a, a perfectly got Italian it. name, of course. Uh, but Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Just like Sam, yeah. Yeah, Sam. And then this is it. This is it. This is the kickoff of Act 3, right? He figures out. He he presses them. He's the alpha. You know, like Sam was like, oh, no, nothing wrong with me. Hey, aren't you Santa? It's so funny. Oh, God, it's so funny. Hey, it seems like something's wrong. No, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. It's 10 o'clock. What are you doing here? No, Santa, (laughs) don't you have work to do? Yeah, exactly. Tell me what what the problem is. And then I liked how they used the whisper trick. So instead of us having to hear like a whole long explanation. No, I love that too. Just have Sam. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. Two seconds of it. It's just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to give you 10 minutes of exposition yeah, 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 in two yeah. seconds. And yeah, it's like all this stuff about like landlord rights and all this. And this like little kid's like, oh, my God, that's terrible. He totally picks it up in like three seconds. <laughs> and then He's and like, this is where Brazi's directorial stuff comes into view. You can almost see the snow machine, by the way. Like the yeah, the snow right at the fake, edge. Yeah, but it's good. It's, it's good. good. Like it's it. good. It works. Um, it's kind of like Brazi's snow. It's kind of <laughs> like it's kind of like Tarantino's blood. You oh, know, it wow. doesn't look real on purpose, hmm. but to great effect. Because his because like blood and Tarantino movies is kind of orangey, and it's you know it's not made to look real. Hmm. This this might be the same. But, I mean, I just love it because he starts just running around saying, hey, kids, wake up. Yeah, I love this. I love this scene, too. And then we see a bunch of kids, like, lying in their beds. And they all wake up at the call of this boy. It's funny. None of the adults wake up, right? Like, only the children. Exactly. Only the children. Exactly. It's magical. The child's frequency. And uh, they all grab their piggy banks. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love one of the beds. I love how in movies there's always like some family with a bunch of kids and they have a huge bed and all the kids sleep in one bed and some of them sleep with their head at the at the headboard and some of them sleep with their head at the back board or whatever that's called. Mm -hmm. Just very cute, Mm -hmm. cute, Christmassy children. And they all come running out in their... all dressed in white 
bed clothes. Every single person. Yes, is wearing even white. the boys are wearing nightgowns. Right, everybody's wearing nightgowns. And you know, I actually so when they all I, and then I guess they do. They don't have the guy who plays Santa singing, but they have him sort of doing sort of a talk sing thing over it, but playing music. But they're all giving him money, and he's like crying and stuff. I started crying. Oh my god! Will you cry as as listeners I, this podcast know? You cry at Coyote Ugly. <laughs> I know, and you've also said, "Will you cry at Old Star Trek?" I was like, right. but come you on, cry you're not, at, you're didn't touch you at all. Like all these kids giving him money. I didn't and he's cry. Like, okay, that well, was the moment <laughs> for me. You know, that's so. This is for also me. this is also the ending of It's a Wonderful Life. It, you, oh, wow! You're right. You're absolutely effing so, right. It is. Yeah, it's... We've got a the couple... The community, the people, the Marxist proletariat come rise up with their nickels and dimes and they save their savior. Well, one of the nice things about it is that, you know, it starts out, he goes to Sam because Sam was the only kid who wrote him after Christmas and said, hey, Santa, I want to do something for you if you ever need it. Right. And Prune says at one point when he sings this song about how much he hates children is that they're selfish and all they do is take, take, take. And Santa says, well, we give them so one day they'll know how to give too. Wow, you have just unlocked this whole movie. And so then you have... The kids and they are here. They're they're proving that they that they aren't just selfish and they aren't just taking and they want to help Santa. So they are learning to give in this scene. It's sweet. I really I like the ending. It's fine. No, you totally. I mean, you must have been alive in a, in a Hindu early life, alive in, in 1966, pitching this to United Artists. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, seriously. So, of course, you know, they're sitting, they cut to back to the North Pole. Somehow, frickin' um, Prune is able to walk. God, this guy must be the ultra marathoner of all history. He gets all the way back to the North Pole, and he's sitting there waiting. It's like tick, 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 tick. And yes. then, uh, very suspicious. And then he sings his last awful song. And then, of course, Santa walks in, literally, like, like the thing is going ding. Ding, ding. Right at the last second. He walks in at like 11 chimes or whatever. And then they just start pouring all of this money on the table. And then, of course, Mrs. Claus says, how about some tea, Mr. Prune? You seem a little depressed. (laughs) Oh, my God. So I don't know. really mad. The landlord's really pissed that he got paid. It's kind. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a little anticlimactic, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Because that is the moment, right? That that was the MacGuffin that we were all, and there was like it just like boom, they came in, boom, it's over. Hey, let's load the sled, everybody. And guess what? For the first time, my wife's gonna come, and my attorney. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in every from <laughs> the night before Christmas and all through the house. Here is Santa Claus and his attorney. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little strange. Like I said, Sam's presence is just like, why do we need you here? Because at the end of the day, like, it's the the child that does everything. Right. Well, well, everything the attorney 
Maybe this is an anti-lawyer movie or something. Because, like, everything the lawyer does fails. And it's the children that ultimately solves the problem of the plot. But the actor, who's the only English actor in the whole film, is the writer. So he can write himself into anything he wants. And boy, did he. And boy, did he. Now, I got to say this. I, you know... I, I the one moment of like sheer artistry in this they so they abandon doing you know because like the way the whole thing is shot is pretty like I mean they probably shot it in like a week or something like that very you know just like wide shots and medium close-ups and boom 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 like a TV show or something but then this is kind of cool the 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 present delivery scene is like a series of still photo montage. All still photos. Yeah, I love this that? scene. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And and both Mrs. Claus and uh, Sam Whipple are going down chimneys too. Now, yes. I, I think they're like using the exact same set over and over and over again. But but at least you know there's like expressions. I just kind of love that you know it was just music and still photo montage. And maybe they did that for a pure budgetary reason. But it actually was a moment of of kind of unique artistry to me i agree completely i wrote that down i really like that scene too okay okay so but then they have one last gift right right and that's what i wanted to ask you about because the you know this ties to that whole like well, we got to search through all the books and find the guy's name why do we need to find the guy's name i don't know and now they they sort of kind of kind of like uh, 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 try to tie those things together it's like oh i Found a note I wrote to this guy 50 years ago. <laughs> and now I'm going to get... Here's his the sailboat he wanted, whatever. So I like that Santa, again, he blames the people underneath him instead of taking... Is it Santa? It's like, if you're the CEO of North Pole Incorporated or whatever, you're supposed to take responsibility for like what goes wrong. But he's like, no, I'll have one of the elves apologize. I'll have one of the elves take the fall for what i did does he actually say that i mean no, doesn't that's what, he, that's what he does by having someone appall if you're santa like it's your fucking job to make sure you give the toys to the children mm-hmm. you can't just go blaming somebody that does your books right but it, it doesn't it appears i mean i mean maybe i missed a couple lives because the guy the tall L Foreman guy includes a note in the present and says, it was my fuck up. It was my bookkeeping error. Exactly. It was my fault. I mean, like Santa didn't even know that the error occurred and this guy took the blame but, on himself. Right. Or no, no, you're not supposed to do that. If you're the boss, like you're supposed to cover for your people. Santa should have taken responsibility for it because okay. he's Santa. He's right. the head of the operation. Okay. There should be an auditor. There should be some like some backup. There should make they can't just let children fall through the cracks. You know what I mean? Well, that's tr- well, yeah. And things like these people end and up being a only, menace to society. And if you only got six elves backing you up, it's like <laughs> wow! It's just me and six guys for the world. What are we gonna do? I don't. <laughs> and everybody gets a stuffed animal or a little car. So, or a sailboat, apparently. So many years ago, when Prune was a boy, he asked for a sailboat. 
they give him his adorable little sailboat, mm-hmm. and he is a court. He's magically healed by it. He has an Ebenezer Scrooge a, epiphany, right? Yes, and he's even dressed like Ebenezer Scrooge. You're right. No, you're exactly right. The whole, right. yeah, and, he, the and whole when thing. they show up, he's like, are you the three ghosts come to warn me or something? Ah, yes, he does say that. Wow. Yeah, so there's, they even make it overt. Yeah. And then uh, the, the one interesting part is he has an oil painting on the wall Ouch. that's frowning. Huh. And then he's holding the sailboat and he looks at the painting and he says, Merry Christmas. And then the painting smiles. And what is is the painting of his himself or his dad or who is? No, I don't know. They don't explain. It's just some old guy in a portrait that a rich person would have in their house. Okay. They don't explain the meaning. But that was a weird little moment. That is a weird little moment. So he... Yeah, so he gets the sailboat, and that, like, sparks his conversion. And then he runs outside, sort of like Ebenezer Scrooge didn't quite run outside. He just yelled outside to a kid from his window. But he runs, actually runs outside and starts saying Merry Christmas to everybody. Meanwhile... So this this part's okay. creepy. Okay, yeah, go this ahead. part is disturbing. Go ahead. So he... It's not enough for him to celebrate Christmas now with all of the people in his mansion, right? With Santa and Mrs. Claus and Sam. He runs outside looking for children. <laughs> he, sees, he sees a lonely child minding his own business. Uh, yes. he, starts, he starts running after the child. The child is terrified and running away. I know. Finally, he tackles the kid. Right. Throws the sailboat in his hands, and the kid is suddenly smiling. And then an entire kind of like Mongolian infantry of children suddenly appear behind the sailboat kid. No, and because they, because they have like, nothing to do on yes. Christmas morning, right? What what would a kid have to do on Christmas morning? They might as well be out in the street, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but no, I was going to. It is so. That is so creepy. He just chases. That is really he weird. He chases him all over the place. And then it's like this Harvey Weinstein moment. Then he embraces. He gives him the sailboat, which is supposed to be nice, I guess, because he really loved the sailboat. But then he like just like embraces him. And I'm like, can you give me a massage, little kid? Um. Yeah, I know, I know, exactly. Exactly. Oh, dear, 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 dear. Do you have any friends at Palm Beach? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I really like little boys. Um, <laughs> that is weird. Yeah. That is- it's so super weird. And then he's like, all right, kids, come to my house. Right. And every and kid in all town. All the children goes to his just house. starts following him to his house. They've only known this man as the creepy man who hates children, the sadistic, evil man. They're just like, yeah, sure, G- gave come some kid a sailboat. Must be a great guy now. Let's head in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're just trusting. We're not going to. No chaperones necessary. And then the, no, no, the other weird thing is that Mr. Seven Foot Bloom creepy guy unlocks the Great Dane. 
and like yeah, the kids go, see, and then, then we he's see like, the scary dog again. The the dog goes in. Like, what is the dog going to eat everybody? Like he was like barking at everybody, like trying to kill everybody. Now what is he going to do? Is I think he, the dog. It's implied that the dog is like kills all psychically the linked. No, he's like psychically linked with Prune, and he used to be mean, and now he's nice too. Okay, okay. And then over that whole thing, where like the kids are marching in, we finally do have credits, but they're all in Italian. In yes. Which, you know, I guess that's the same way it was with the spaghetti westerns, and I guess nobody cared. So they were like, yeah, whatever, who cares? And, you know, the other thing I want to mention was, like, the actual meaning of Christmas, meaning the birth of the Christ child in Christianity, is never even hinted at. There's there's one thing where Santa says to Prune, Look, the meaning of Christmas is love. And that's it. That's it. You know, and this was produced in Italy for both Italian audiences and Christmas audiences. But uh, one thing I wanted to point out was like a year before, in 1965, the famous Charlie Brown Christmas special has Linus, the character of Linus, reciting word for word from the Annunciation to the Shepherds from the Gospel of Luke, which... right. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. You know, when I read up on that, I was like, wow, that was a really controversial thing to do because every network executive was like, hey, let's keep it secular. We have have a Santa at Macy's. But actually, it became like the biggest 60-year special in history, even though it was had that explicitly Christian moment. But there is nothing even remotely Chris, um, uh, religious in this. Or did you see no, it? No, I mean, I told you the... The kid the with the... the kid, yeah, that, maybe, yeah. The kid carrying the tree on his shoulder yeah. like, seemed like Christ-like to me. But again, Christ wasn't carrying a cross on his shoulder on Christmas. He was just a baby. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of Christmas movies are, even if they're older, aren't really religious. Santa's not super... You know, Santa's not in the gospel. You know, if you're doing a Santa thing, like Charlie Brown. <laughs> nope. The Charlie Brown thing, it's about a tree. It's not really about Santa. If you're doing a Santa thing, it's hard to have like Jesus and Santa in the same world. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really. It's not the same deal. Right. Right. Although they share philosophical some I mean, in the Venn diagram, sure. there and, is and some overlap. Early, early models for Santa were 
Christian saints. Right, right. So Saint that, Nicholas. that's the connection. Right, yeah, and, yeah, and the other, yeah. The last inevitable question, Cassie and Bernice, how many stars out of five would you give this forgotten masterpiece, the Christmas that almost wasn't? And hopefully, forgotten masterpiece. Forgotten masterpiece, and hopefully you'll provide an explanation of your choice. Okay, uh, I would give this movie, I'm really bad with ratings. Mm. I don't have a rating brain. Uh, I want to say two. Is that too mean? Is that too Scrooge-like? <laughs> well, it's below being good, right? I mean, three is sort of the threshold for okay. I wouldn't say this movie's good. Like, I would say there's some really good parts. There's some really weird stuff. I felt like it moved slow. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it... I'm going to bump it up to three. Mm. Because in the spirit of giving... <laughs> I'll say three for this forgotten piece. <laughs> Not masterpiece, just piece. It's a piece. Bernice, how about you? I'm still in the It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on 34th Street camp, as far as Christmas movies go. I know you two see some kind of postmodern irony in this train wreck of a film, but I'm a computer and we don't have inherent psychoses to flirt with. I should add, Bruce Willis in a tight t-shirt in the original Die Hard movie still works for me. It takes place on Christmas Eve. Therefore, it is a Christmas movie. Like, I'm sort of in your same boat. I sort of give it a, you know, for its historical value, I give it an extra half point just because I think it just represents something that, you know, we shouldn't let it go away. We should keep it in our libraries of how people thought about Christmas or et cetera, et cetera. You're right. I mean, it's... It's not a great movie. It's got some good moments, but the songs suck. Nobody can sing. (laughs) (laughs) The the plot's not super solid. No. And it moves like, it moves just at a leaden pace. I mean, oh my God. This thing could be a a 50 minute, this could be a 50 minute TV special. Yeah, no, you know, it's supposed to be a musical comedy. It's not that funny. No, it's not. You know, there was that. You know that scene at the beginning where they, they go into his law office, Sam Whipple's law office? Santa sits – this was like a bizarre thing. He sits on a chair and it like collapses. Now, what are they yeah. – Yeah. But, but it wasn't like even funny. No, I think what they're saying is that Sam is like kind of a failure as a lawyer and that he can't buy a working chair. Oh, is that it? Because he goes, oh, I think hey, that's sit- what they were. Doing. I thought they were saying he was too fat or something, but I don't know because he sits in Sam's I don't chair. Think that, I don't think that's what they were saying. I think they were just saying that that was a shitty chair because Sam doesn't have very much money. Anyway, that's why he can't pay. I mean, there's just. I mean, tell me where where there was a joke. I mean, there was like the stuff with, you know, just gags that fell on their face like he was sitting in his uh, prune was sitting in his room and he would look to his left and said bloom where are you and then bloom would walk yeah, over there, and then the guy would look to jokes. his right and said bloom where are you and then he's just like oh my god this is like a bad abbott Costello movie hold on i feel like maybe i did write down one part that made me laugh okay let me try to find you out. mean Laugh intentionally or unintentionally. There's a lot of places that laugh intentional, unintentionally. No, I mean intentionally. Okay. Oh, oh, oh! I liked the part where Mrs. Claus says, "Just like 
oh, but Prune, think what this will do to the children. And Prune just goes, good. <laughs> good. Okay. There, there's some, like, slight, slight funny, funny parts. I, I, You know, it's not great. It's not great writing. But, you know, I think it's just been a fantastic investigation. We're going to put liner notes to everybody about, you know, how they can watch this wonderful forgotten masterpiece. This is like... Michael Crichton's Heaven's Gate or something. It's just like, you know. Exactly. Gonna... It's coming to Criterion. <laughs> it's coming to Criterion. <laughs> you... I, bought, I bought one copy of a Blu-ray for every person I know. There we go. There we go. Blu-ray Ultra. What do they call it now? UHD? U Ultra? Oh, I've never heard that. Oh, my God. It's out of control. Oh, I just saw on Wikipedia that they this movie was aired every uh, December on HBO during the 70s and early 80s. It was. So it wasn't like a failure. No, not at all. I mean, I mean, it was probably made for almost nothing. So in all the yeah, sure DVDs and stuff out there, I mean, it's owned by it was, HBO. Yeah, it was made, clearly it was made for a stick of gum. <laughs> so good for them. Good, good for, for them. Good for Brazi. Good for Brazi. So... Cassia, before you go, I don't know if you'll how often or if ever you'll be able to join this particular pod again. Do you have any notes of farewell for the audience, which we know loves you, you know, have listened to you for, you know, in the 2019-2020 season with From the Cheap Seats and then the first uh, 10 episodes of this Clearly, I know from the emails and everything else how many how many people liked you. Anything you want to say to them? I would say thank you for your listenership. Please listen to my new podcast, Have We Met Before, available wherever you get your podcasts. There once was a Christmas that almost wasn't, almost wasn't. Almost wasn't there once was Well, a it's time to pound a couple of glasses of eggnogs, listeners. I want to thank Cassie and Bernice for helping us dissect this forgotten cinematic masterpiece. If you want to watch this tour de force yourself, we've included links in the liner notes. We've also included links to Cassie's new podcast, Have We Met Before? A no-brainer for her fans and friends of her fans. And, Bernice, what can I say? You know, it just wouldn't have worked out between us. Mr. Halsley... You need serious professional, therapeutic care. Thanks for that advice, Bernice. We hope you'll follow or subscribe to Scandal Sheet on your favorite pod platform and share it with all your friends. We'd also love it if you'd leave us a shameless, over-the-top rave review on Apple Podcasts especially. That helps us build audience. Also, we want to hear from you. You can reach us online at scandalsheetpod.com Facebook or Twitter, or just send us an email to contact at scandalsheetpod.com. And finally, we wish all of our listeners the very best Christmas and holiday season. We'll see you next time on Scandal Sheet! Copyright 2021, Thad Helsley Media, all rights reserved.